we continue our discussion of certain objections which have been raised against the Bible in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? We have been discussing objections that have been raised against the Bible and particularly against the Old Testament on moral grounds. Because of the frankness of the Bible in describing the many forms of degrading sins and abuses into which men have fallen, objectors say that it could not have been inspired of God. Because God's direct actions are uplifting and inspiring. To this we reply that the Bible proposes to be a true history of the situation of life as it has occurred. It is the urgent activity of God to get men to repent of all sin and be reconciled to himself through faith in a provided death of a Savior. Men cannot repent unless they acknowledge sin with all frankness. The Bible points out sin and leads to an open acknowledgement of sin. Then again, it is a very great evidence of the divine inspiration of the Bible that even the sins of God's most useful servants are narrated. Nowhere in history are its favorite sons so honestly portrayed. This is forceful proof that God inspired what should have been written in the Bible. Then it is affirmed by objectors that cruelties and atrocities are recorded in the Old Testament in particular that are contrary to Christian principles and therefore could not have taken place by divine authority as has been recorded. Whether this objection is true or not, depends upon the nature and guilt of sin, and whether or not God had any permissive agency in the matter of sin, secretly or otherwise. The Bible not only reveals God as loving and kind, but as filled with grief and disappointment over the ruination of the happy world and state of affairs, which he had with such profound wisdom created. There is no intimation whatever that God is in any sense to blame for the existence of sin in the universe. But further, the Bible reveals man as alarmingly responsible for departing from the happy pathway that his Creator had created him for, and doing violence to his own moral nature. Man has grievously disappointed his Creator in return for the love bestowed, and has devised ways and means of greater violence and indulgence in defiance of the great God. Now what is God going to do about this endless rebelliousness? Nothing? The Bible gives the answer. First, there is the beckoning invitation of love to forsake sin and be reconciled to God through a provided salvation. But if love does not achieve anything in the mass restraint of sin, what other approach can be made except of righteous judgment? Could anyone speak with greater righteous indignation than the Lord Jesus did when he denounced the hypocritical leaders of Israel in the words, Ye serpents! 
ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? As recorded in Matthew 23 and 33. This idea that the New Testament is free from the same righteous judgment that existed in Old Testament times will not bear examination. So God must regulate sin or become himself a sinner by neglect of his moral obligation to the welfare of mankind as a whole and other moral beings. In view of these things, the Bible takes on a very different evaluation. To punish or take life for governmental reasons is very different than to do so from personal ill will. The highest love for the happiness of moral beings in general will lead us, and God likewise, to prevent or retard sin by appropriate punishment. Thus we have in Genesis 9-6 the record that God imparted to Noah the law of murder and the reason for the dreadful seriousness of it. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. When nations have followed this rule of government, murder is a rarity. We must remember that judicial punishment is basically for the prevention of crime, not for the reformation of the offender. I understand that a certain nation of primitive people have a very severe penalty for any kind of stealing, with the result that stealing is practically unknown among them. There, anyone caught stealing promptly has his hand cut off. It would not take many stub arms walking about to proclaim through the tribe that stealing doesn't pay. Thus we have judgments from God going on today all about us. Why do wars come? Why is the unbridled selfishness of leaders allowed to take peace from the earth? Only because the moral state of men's hearts, and by and large, man does not deserve peace. If they did, God would curb these rulers. God would slow down the violent forces in nature and curb their destruction. Disease would be remedied by the provision of greater remedies by the mercy of God. The humble and faithful of the earth have not been promised deliverance from all these judgments, but God will abundantly make up to them in eternal ages for their part and lot of the judgment upon wickedness which they did not deserve. To them, death is not serious. It is the entrance into a more intimate life with God. To study the dispensations of God as recorded in the Bible and the reasons for them is a most humiliating and enlightening investigation. If we view the whole situation of man's sin objectively as God sees it, and realize the great sorrow that man's sin has brought to the great Godhead, we find ourselves in sympathy with God as we condemn ourselves. 
when we dwell upon the unspeakable greatness of the divine capacity for grief, we are moved to greater wonderment at the patience of God. In Genesis 6, 5 to 8, we read the verdict of God that no one was to be found on earth who reverenced and worshipped his great being except Noah. Think of the kind benevolences of creation and of the many lovely things and capacities that God had surrounded man with and endowed him with. Should God's reward for these endless blessings be grief and disappointment? But further, should men be allowed to go on injuring one another endlessly? But instead of sending judgment immediately, in great love and mercy he gave men 120 years to repent, as is recorded in the sixth chapter of Genesis, and sent forth his servant Noah to warn them by word and deed. As he swung the timbers in place on his great ship, and pled with men, doubtless with tears, it was a grim sermon. Men mocked from generation to generation instead of repenting. God finally had to send the flood upon the world of the ungodly, as the apostle Peter wrote in his second epistle, chapter 2 and verse 5. If men were unfortunate weaklings in sinful indulgence, God was wrong and unmerciful. But if men were incorrigible rebels, growing worse and worse in his 120 years of extra patience and threatened to multiply themselves in wickedness, then God was compelled to take the violent action that he did or be responsible for allowing sin to get entirely out of hand. Our Lord Jesus upheld the justice of this judgment and affirmed that a similar situation would arise at the end of the age of God's great grace, as did the writers of the New Testament. Can we object and find fault if the Lord Jesus did not? Sodom and Gomorrah were turned into ashes by fire and brimstone when Abraham had prayed God down to sparing the city if ten righteous persons could be found therein. It seemed an audacity to him to go any lower in his prayer. Evidently, only Lot was found, and he not in very healthy spiritual condition, to be sure. Nevertheless, because he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds, as we read in 2 Peter 2.8, God spared him and his immediate family, but not without tragedy to his wife who had left her affections there and turned back for a last look, and to himself and daughters in moral ruin as they were delivered. The plague sent upon Egypt and the destruction of the cruel Egyptian army in the Red Sea were called forth because of the long oppression of the rights and happiness of the nation Israel. God heard their groanings, we read, and sent deliverance through Moses as in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24. God did not send judgment upon all the land because Pharaoh resisted, but hardened his heart 
so that he would resist further because the whole nation was long overdue in the timetables of God's righteous judgment. This great wickedness and sensual violence is testified to by the extensive excavations of archaeology which have been made throughout this ancient uh, Egyptian civilization. These abundantly testify to the biblical record in upholding the righteousness of God for sending this tremendous judgment upon the wickedness and violence and defilement of the Egyptians. So our great and loving God, as presented in the Bible, beckons men to partake of his love and mercy, offers them to forgive them freely by his grace through repentance and faith in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sins of the whole world. We must continue this discussion in our next visit. Our Heavenly Father, with thanksgiving and praise do we come to thee, and with great reverence of heart, as we acknowledge to thee our own guilt, and how we thank thee for the invitation that we need not be subject to thy judgment, that thou art beckoning us to repent of sin, to receive forgiveness through Christ, reconciliation to thee, and a happy life in thy presence both now and forever. May many so respond in Jesus' name. Amen.